Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita, and I am broadcasting... Not live, but in advance. By the time you folks are listening to this, all you fiction peddlers out there, it will be Friday. If all goes according to plan, I will be vacationing off in Benton Harbor, Michigan for a nice long weekend. And boy, do I need it. I am uh, I am pretty burnt out over here. I usually take a vacation every four or five months, I, I, I try to take two really long vacations every year. I normally go to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I have a condo. I have access to a wonderful condo there, three bedroom, three bath, right on the beach with the biggest pool you've ever seen. I'm not exaggerating. You can see this thing on Google Maps. It's like a body of water. And I usually do that in like late March, early April for two, two and a half, maybe three weeks if I can, as long as I can get away. And then I go again in November for about three weeks, right before Thanksgiving. I did go last November, but that was it. And uh, we're, we're bumping up on June now, and I haven't had a day off, and I am just... Uh, so sick of the day-to-day, the -day, even though this whole... I already worked from home four days a week, so not much has changed during the week for me. My day job was was working from home. I only had to go into the office once uh, once a week, every Tuesday. And, and so now I just never have to go into the office, but I'm still doing the same thing I was normally doing, except I really can't do much on the weekends, or at least I haven't been able to for the last couple of months. And I haven't seen many of my friends or anything like that. And I'm really looking forward to this uh, time off here. And of course, it's got to come on a, a shortened week. <laughs> yeah, I had that Memorial Day on Monday. And things are just starting to pile up here for me. Things I got to check off before I can leave town. It's just one thing after another. It always is. I was talking to somebody who's going to uh, the cabin with me, and they were like, can I just have one stress-free night the day before I, I travel? Because it always just seems like the day before you're leaving or two days before, everything just... It doesn't necessarily go wrong, but man, just things just start piling up and you start running behind and you're trying to get things done. 
I decided to go out and play golf on Monday, and that ate up my entire Monday. I didn't get a whole else, uh, anything else really done. I was exhausted by the end of it. And I'm, I'm in this currency trading mastermind group, and we're working on this uh, trading strategy, which is really looking good. And we've hired a coder to code this bot that's going to execute the trades for us. And this has been like two years in the making. I was supposed to get the bot, the beta version of the bot, on Monday to test that out. Um, that actually fell through, so I don't know where we are with that yet. But that was actually a relief for me because I was not going to have any time this week to play around with that and get that set up and start having it run through trades on a on a dummy account. That that was never going to happen. So I, I caught a little break there. But one of the other things I was trying to cross off my list were some Amazon returns. I ordered a bunch of stuff on Amazon. I, I do almost all of my shopping on Amazon, even pre-coronavirus. I love it. I love having things just delivered to my door within like 24, 48 hours, some ridiculous time frame like that. And if you don't like it, you know, they usually give you free returns and you just throw it back in the box. Normally, I would just take it in with me to the office the one day a week and drop it off. I, I print out a label there or just bring it into UPS and they'll, they'll do the label. But UPS, last time I tried to go there, kicked me out because I didn't have a mask. So they can go fuck themselves, and I'm no longer going into the office. So I arranged to have these returns picked up from my condo. Now, this was last Friday, it, it, okay? And um, they were supposed to come Friday with their prepaid labels, and of course, UPS did not. And so now I have to figure out why they didn't have the labels, why they knew nothing about these returns. And I'm talking with Amazon and they're like, okay, well, if they don't come tomorrow, get in contact with us again and we will uh, reissue the, ref the return and, and schedule a pickup the following business day. So, of course, and man, it, it always seems like I have shipping problems. I don't know if it's just because of the coronavirus. Like, this is just one of those things. It seems to be wreaking havoc on shipping for some reason, and I don't understand why. I, I don't understand where the breakdown of communication is. But UPS is now on my shit list because Saturday they didn't come. Sunday I don't even think is considered a business day. Monday was a holiday. But so Saturday after they didn't come, I talked with Amazon again and had them reissue the return so that they would come Tuesday to pick this stuff up. Well, Tuesday has come and gone. <laughs> and once again, they did not come. And I just I had to do the same thing again with Amazon to have them reissue the goddamn return. Except the, the person I got this time was such an idiot. They just started returning like all the wrong things. And I had the longest back and forth with this fucking guy in, I don't know, probably India. And he just, he was screwing everything up, returning all the wrong things. It took forever, and it got to the point where he was just like, okay, because I was returning like three pairs of shorts and three shirts and, and another item. but So I had two boxes. One had the, the one item in it, and the other box, uh, other box had the six 
uh, clothing items. And so he just started returning like any random clothing things that were on the Amazon account, which like a bunch of my siblings are on and everything. Everybody's ordering stuff. So it was all the wrong stuff. And he kept screwing it up. And I kept trying to explain to him what I needed. And I was like, I already did the return. I just need you to make sure UPS has these fucking labels and comes and picks them up. He ended up redoing this thing wrong like three or four different times and then finally he's just like you know what just keep the keep the clothes (laughs) you can i'll give you the refund don't worry about returning them you can donate them so now to go along with my um two and three quarters shelves that the united states postal service screwed up the shipping on that i have here in uh in studio with me the Art Deco mirror that Amazon didn't want to come and uh, pick up. This was years ago. It's a huge Art Deco mirror. It weighs a ton. It's a really nice mirror, but there were like they drilled through all the way through one side of it, so you could see these like indents from the screws sticking out on the front of the mirror. And but it was just so heavy that they were just like not nah, keep it. So I have that. And now I have um, three pairs of shorts and three shirts. I- I'm starting a-, a warehouse, I think, that my my next company is just going to be things that Amazon didn't want to take back, and I will basically be giving them away. So if anybody needs a shelf or a mirror or you want some clothes, hit me up on Twitter because I would love to get rid of this shit. I'm running out of space. <laughs> I don't have that big of a condo. So that's just one more headache I'm going to have to deal with. I guess I can wait. I think I have time to uh, to try to get this returned. But the, the thing is, the boxes are sitting down with the uh, the doorman, and it's taking up space, and they get a lot of packages, and I don't want to have to have them uh, continuously worrying about it. So I don't know. One more stupid fucking headache for old Johnny the Gentile here before he goes off on vacation. They couldn't make it easy on me course not they never do so yeah i got that vacation coming and then i also i have uh, i'm going to the florida keys with some buddies of mine in about three weeks for a little another long weekend we're going to do some fishing i don't know what i'm going to do with all my vacation time i have like another month off that i have to use this year and i have no idea where to go or who to go with or what i'm gonna do so um That'll be interesting. I'll, I'll see if I can go to Mexico, but I don't know. I, I I know they're opening up on June 1st. Puerto Vallarta is going to be open. I don't know exactly what that means, of course. When people say things are open, it's like, are they really open, or is everything going to be fucking boarded off with plexiglass and everything's wrapped in, like, fucking plastic and saran wrap and you got to wear a mask everywhere? Something tells me Mexico's going to be a little more lax with everything, but you never know. Anyway, that's enough about that. You know, it's been a slow news cycle the last couple of days because we just had the long weekend, and all of the stories in the news have just been pretty much the same thing over and over again. And I feel like I've covered the coronavirus from just about every angle I can imagine. I've covered the economic effects of it from, uh, you know, ad nauseum. And I'm not seeing a lot of stuff out there that really interests me to talk about. I, I've covered like the, the media coverage, the censorship on uh, social media platforms, all this stuff. So I thought today I would take a little break from all of that 
and I'm I'm sure you guys could use a break too because everybody this is all we we've just been obsessing about this stuff for three months now just talking nonstop about coronavirus and the shutdown and the lockdown and masks and all this stuff and I thought we'd take a break from all that and talk about yours truly Johnny the Gentile Profita and sort of my journey through libertarianism or to libertarianism. I guess you could call it my libertarian origin story, if you will, because I know we have a lot of new listeners and I don't, you know, I've done a lot of episodes. I can't remember if I've ever really gone through how I got into libertarianism. So maybe even the older listeners don't know this story and I'm not sure how interesting it is, but I will try to make it entertaining. But we have a lot of new listeners as well, and I'm I'm sure they, they might have uh, wondered where I came from and what I'm doing here, because I think very few people are actually born libertarians. Um, I think, well, let me rephrase that. We, we, I think a lot of people are born with a, a libertarian spirit, but they don't really have uh, the libertarian ideology down. We're always either like a Democrat or a Republican because that's the two-party system we live in, and our parents are usually Democrats or Republicans. I think very few parents, um, I guess 3% of the, the population um, that are libertarians that actually get together and have kids, whatever that percentage is, might raise their kids libertarian, but very few people start out as libertarians. We always start out in one of the two camps. But I do think that a lot of libertarianism we are sort of born with. We have, we have a sense for the ideology. We just don't have it hammered out. In fact, we have it hammered out of us through government schools and the Republicans and the Democrats. They do a hell of a job beating it out of us and, and making us conform and, and making us afraid of these natural libertarian instincts that I think a lot of people are born with. And it's always interesting to see how people migrate from either being like a really liberal Democrat, maybe even a socialist, to, uh, to libertarianism, or being a very conservative uh, neocon and migrating over to libertarianism. And I, I fall into the latter. I, was, I came at it from the right. I, you know, my old man was, uh, is a conservative, still is slightly more radical than your run-of-the-mill, like Lindsey Graham, John McCain kind of Republican. But he's definitely a Republican. He votes Republican. He always would tell me to vote Republican. Um, and I, you know, I definitely took my cues from him growing up, seeing as he was my old man. He's a very smart guy. But yeah, growing up, I, I was always kind of a contrarian. And being a Republican was the contrarian. And I've, I've always been anti-government, and he's always been anti-government. But the, the problem that a lot of Republicans have is that the, the anti-government ones, think they fall into this trap that the Republican Party is anti-government because they're the party of like this small, restrained government. Government is this necessary evil, and it should only have these few and defined powers, national defense, and I don't know, providing the roads and things like that, whatever it is the, uh, the, the neocons want these days. But 
nothing could be further from the truth that the Republicans are are just as big government as the Democrats. They just want the size of government to be concentrated in a few different areas than the, the Democrats. And it took me a very long time to come to terms with that, to figure that out. It was easy. It was always easy for me to see the heirs of the, the Democrat, the socialist ways. That was easy. I could tell from a very young age that liberals were just way off base on just about everything. Um, what was harder for me to see is that these Republicans are pretty much all full of shit. And it wasn't until I had graduated college and gotten my first real job because I'd had jobs, right? Growing up, I worked in a paint store starting at like age 16. I think the youngest you could be and get a job. I was working in a paint store very often. Um, and then I worked in a paint store throughout college. And then after college, when I graduated, before I got like my real job, I was doing a demo on houses with a buddy of mine for a few months. But when I got my, my first real job out of college was in finance. I was working in fixed income. I was dealing with government bonds and uh, fixed income securities, treasuries, things like that. Very boring stuff. However, the year I got the job was October of 2007, which was right before the economy started to melt down and when we were on the verge of the Great Recession. So there was a lot going on right when I started to get into finance. And I didn't study finance, by the way, officially in college. I was a history major. So uh, I'm really putting that degree to work. <laughs> that was, that was uh, not a waste of time and money at all, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, it has, I have, I think I found a way to, to put it to use with this podcast a little bit, but, um, so I had no formal training in finance whatsoever, but I was interested in it. My dad was a financial guy. He was, he's a bond guy, municipal bond guy. And I'd taken a couple economics courses and things like that, but nothing major not and they all they always bored the shit out of me i never knew i never really understood what the hell they were talking about it, it never seemed to make sense because they're teaching all of this keynesian stuff and keynesian economics is retarded it is absolutely ridiculous and that's why it's so confusing because they've got everything wrong their entire economic philosophy is backwards. The whole thing is backwards. They've got the economic cart before the horse. And that's why nothing ever makes sense when you try to learn about the economy through Keynesianism. It's all just a bunch of nonsense. Everything they do is wrong. And so they have to keep making all of these weird tweaks and exceptions and, and weird explanations for why things are the way they are that don't make any sense because their underlying theory about how an economy grows and why it doesn't and how it functions is all wrong. So that's where I was basically going into finance right before the economy melted down. I was like everybody else. I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. We were all caught off guard, right? Except for a select few who had been predicting this 
And I had no idea that these people were out there predicting this, but the Ron Pauls of the world, the Peter Schiffs of the world, were out there sounding the alarm that this financial crisis was, that we were on the precipice of this financial collapse. And it, it was all going to be because of these uh, subprime mortgage loans. And it's going to have this ripple effect through the economy. And then this is going to be the government response. Like they called it to a T. And as the market was melting down and everything was being blamed on Republicans and capitalism run amok and excessive greed and the Bush presidency and all this stuff was going on, I, I didn't buy that story. It didn't make like excessive greed never made any sense to me. Like we are. We're greedy people, okay? People are always greedy. We're no more greedy now than we were a year ago, and we're not going to be any more greedy 10 years from now than we are today. Greed is a constant. So that really didn't explain it for me. And deregulation, I mean, come on. Even as a, a young Republican, deregulation did not make any sense to me because I wasn't seeing any deregulation. And I remember getting into some arguments with a, a lot of uh, really progressive Democrats. And, you, you know, this is, remember, you have to remember what, what we're uh, going through at the time. This is the, the Bush presidency, which was a disaster. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that. Republicans had everything. They had the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And it was a fucking disaster. Everything was a disaster. The wars were a disaster. It looks like they lied us into war with weapons of mass destruction. They're, they're spending more money than ever before. The debt was, you know, get, getting up around $9 trillion. So Bush doubled the, the national debt in, in eight years from like $4 trillion to $9 trillion or something like that. $5 trillion to $10 trillion, depending on when you start the clock, I guess. And I'm getting into these arguments with these Democrats. And for the most part, you know, I would have to concede the fact that the wars were a, a complete disaster and we never should have gone over there. But their other complaints were all of these things that the Republicans were doing, but they weren't Republican principles, or at least not the ones that I believed in as a Republican. They were basically governing like Democrats would, with a Republican label. And I will never forget the day that this dawned on me. I was like, everything that you guys are complaining about, are they're like Democratic policies that Republicans are doing. You know, Medicare Part D, no child left behind. There's too much spending going on. Those were uh, some of the biggest failures of the Bush presidency were these big government policies. And the Democrats were the big, supposed to be the big government ones. And, and it finally sort of clicked. I was like, well, if the, the Democrats are Democrats and the Republicans are basically acting like Democrats, they're Republicans in name only. Well, what the hell am I? Like, who's going to represent me? Who's going to represent the way I see the world and the way I think about things? And I'm not even exactly sure how, how I think about things. It's just uh, things aren't adding up. You know, like what what is the role, the proper role of government and why is the economy in shambles? Why 
like at the top of the show, do we have the president, the Republican president, saying that we have to abandon free market principles to save the free market system, and we have to bail out all of these banks and everything? And, you know, does anybody have answers to to these sorts of problems? Because things aren't working out with these two philosophies for me, these two political philosophies. And right about that time, I, I was in this Facebook group with a couple of buddies of mine from college, some of whom, like, they were, some were Republicans, some were Democrats, some were more, like, uh, I, I don't even know what you'd call it, like, moderates or whatever, you know, r- really, like, lukewarm. I'm uh, the, uh, the old uh, fiscally conservative, socially liberal type of people. Um, and, we you know, we would discuss politics and economics and this thing and and somebody posted the uh peter schiff was right video and this was probably in i don't know 2008 i guess that came out maybe early 2009 i can't remember exactly when that was but the the video if you haven't seen it i think it's probably still up on youtube somewhere unless they've like censored it and and ripped it off uh ripped it down but it's literally this economist this austrian economist who is going on every one of those financial talking shows on fox business cnbc and he's getting into arguments with everybody on these panels that they'd bring in other financial experts or whatever, other money managers, and then you'd also have the hosts. And he is just he is just shredding these people. He is telling them exactly what was wrong with the economy, exactly what was going to happen. Of course, he was early. This was like 2005, 2006, 2007. He's on TV doing all these interviews. And these so-called experts are literally laughing at him. They're laughing like this guy's a joke. He has no idea what he's talking about. And then, lo and behold, in late 2008, 2009, um, the entire economy just comes crashing down, and he gets proven right. And so this video was just showing how right he was this entire time and how wrong everybody else was. And I remember just being kind of blown away by the accuracy of his economic analysis. And I was wondering why he knew what he knew when he knew it, when nobody else did. And so I started to look into him a little bit more. He had a radio show at the time, the Peter Schiff show, which was great. It was like two hours every morning from like nine to 11 or something central time. And he would talk about the markets and then he'd like have some uh, political commentary or he'd have a guest on. And it was something that really got me through my morning at my boring ass fixed income job, really helped break up that morning and get me to lunch. And so as I listened to more of the Peter Schiff show, just it started out as a economics thing. I wanted to learn economics from this guy because he clearly knows what the fuck he's talking about. Look, he predicted all of this stuff down to a T. He understands what's going on. I should be listening to him. But he's also a pretty libertarian guy. Now, he's not like an anarcho-capitalist or anything like that, but he he knows libertarian principles, and he's he's pretty good at expressing them. And he would, he would always talk about, you know, 
what was wrong, what, what the Republicans were doing wrong, what the Democrats were doing wrong. And he would every once in a while mention libertarianism. Um, in fact, I think Tom Woods used to fill in for him every once in a while when he couldn't do the radio show. So I even heard some Tom Woods way back in like 2009, 2010, 2011, before he started the Tom Woods show. And you start to get these little nuggets of libertarian explanations for things. And all of a sudden, the, this blurry world, this blurry worldview that I had where I was trying to, to figure out how to get things to come into focus, all of a sudden, when you, when you look at it through the lens of libertarianism, the principles of liberty, limited or even no government, but I, I wasn't at the no government uh, point then. But even if you just come at it from a libertarian perspective, a minarchist perspective, everything starts to come into focus. And all of these pieces start to fall into place. And I'm starting to understand the economics of it. And now I'm starting to get interested in the political philosophy. And you start reading more of these books. You know, um, I read some, some of Peter Schiff's books economics and uh he he also talks about you know government and politics in one of them as well uh read some ron paul started getting into him uh one of my favorite um favorite books when i first found libertarianism and i never hear anybody talk about this book and i don't know why because a lot of people depending on i guess which angle you're coming in into libertarianism from they always recommend like the the main staple libertarian books. Ron Paul ha has a, a number of books. Um, if they really want to throw you into the deep end, they go Murray Rothbard, Hans Hermann Hoppe, or if you know you're talking about economics, it's like Hayek, Economics in One Lesson, or Thomas Sowell, things like that. Or yeah, I guess Ayn Rand too. Um, I I never really read much Ayn Rand. I, I never really got into that. Um, the one of the books that I really enjoyed, and I've never heard anybody recommend, is John Stossel's "No, They Can't." I thought it was a great introductory book to libertarianism. It it just he basically takes all of these um, political topics, you know, run down the gamut of, of whatever you want to talk about, you know, um, pick a political topic, and he basically covers it in that book. And he just shows you why government always fails. And he gives you example after example of how the government like says that they're going to do this, and but this is the actual result, and this is why they can't do it, and um, and why individuals succeed. I think that's the that's the um the full title of the book is "No, They Can't: Why Government Fails and Individuals Succeed" or something like that. And um, he also went to my high school, New Trier. So he's a Trevian. But um, I, that that book really sort of solidified. I was like, okay, I, I'm a libertarian now. And then not just because of economics, because uh, this political philosophy is, is correct in, in every sense of the, the matter. And then from there, you know, I... I continued down the path toward the uh the more radical anarcho-capitalism you really you really take the deep dive i i don't think people should start with guys like rothbard or hans Hermann hoppe or 
you know, things like that. You know, Ron Paul's revolution is great. Um, but yeah, I, I took a real gradual path. I, I started with stuff like, no, they can't, or how an economy grows and why it crashes. And, um, and then I got into more serious economic books. I read economics in one lesson. I read Thomas Sowell's, uh, basic economics. Uh, that, that was a, that was an undertaking. Um, read Frederick Bastiat, the law, human action, you know, Ludwig von Mises has some great books. I read some Tom Woods and of course, you know, Murray Rothbard has a, a, a ton of great books to read. But I always thought that No, They Can't was a great introductory book for your, somebody that you're trying to ease into libertarianism. That's, that's not quite ready to be fully red-pilled, but if you want to get them ready, if you want to whet their appetite, if you want to get them prepped and ready to go to take that red pill, I, I thought that was a great book to do it. And I, I don't know, <laughs> maybe no, nobody else agrees with me, but... Um, what I like about that book is it presents you with all of these concrete examples of all the government failures and why they'll never succeed at anything that they say they can succeed at. And then you start to look for, if you're a normal person, you start to look for alternative solutions because I'm not a crazy person. I'm not insane, so I'm not prepared to continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. That is insanity. So I started to look to alternative solutions to all of these problems that everyone's talking about in everyday society and politicians are railing on and on about how they're going to fix them. And you find those solutions in libertarianism. And then you take those libertarian principles that are the solution to all of, the, all of society's problems and you take them to their logical conclusion. And before you know it, you're an anarcho-capitalist. Yeah, that, that's basically how I got started. I came at it from a, a purely economic standpoint. I was trying to figure out what was going on in the economy. And it became crystal clear that the only people that know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to economics were, was the Austrian school. All this other nonsense, it, it's just, it's designed to confuse you. Keynesianism is a bunch of crap. And the reason it still persists today is because it gives government everything that it wants. Everything that a politician wants to do, Keynesianism provides the justification based on what they view this, how an economy works, right? You know, the, 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 there's like a demand problem, right? We need to stimulate demand, and so spend more money. Give it a little stimulus. The, like the economy is this gas pedal or this engine that you can just rev up when, you, when it starts to slow down. And you just, you know, just got to be careful because you don't want the engine to overheat and all this stuff. And it just gives politicians the, the perfect excuse to do everything that they already wanted to do, uh, to promise everybody a free lunch, to print money, to, to be able to spend, to borrow and to spend and not have to save and produce. And that's what's gotten us into the economic disaster that we are looking at right now, because we have not been adhering to Austrian principles. And the reason for that is because it's, it's a tough pill to swallow when you say that the, the recession is the actual cure 
for the the economic disease that ails us. Well, uh, uh, recessions are no fun. People lose their jobs in recessions. People lose their income in recessions. Businesses go out of business. It's no fun. And politicians don't want to give people bad news. They want to pretend like they're, they can solve all of these problems as long as you just give them more money and more power. And if you just entrust them with all of your liberty and all of your money, they will protect you from the, all of the, these economic problems and all the other problems of the world. But the, um, the restructuring that has to take place in the economy due to the, the phony boom in which all the problems were created, that restructuring has to take place. You can never get healthy. And that's painful. And politicians don't like to be in power when people are going through painful times because they tend to get the blame. They want all the credit when things are going good and none of the blame when things are going bad. And the, all of the, the complex economic models and theories and definitions and all that stuff, it, don't even bother getting bogged down in that. I don't under, like unless you're going to be like a number crunching economist, I, I wouldn't worry about it. Just uh, understand the broader philosophies and how an economy grows and why it doesn't grow. There's a that's another good uh, Peter Schiff book, a great introductory book where he goes through this allegory of these uh, three guys that start out on an island with nothing. And, you know, through the, the Austrian principles of economics, they turn this nothing island, this subsistence living, where they're, they literally just, uh, they have no tools, they have no nothing. They just eat, they just fish all day, and all day they're able to catch one fish each per day, and that's enough for them to live until the next day. And then they get up and they fish again. And anyway, I, I don't need to explain the whole book, but basically one guy uh, foregoes fishing for a day and he builds a net. And then from that one thing, that one action uh, of delayed gratification, uh, of, of saving and uh, investing in plant and equipment, he starts this, this island on a, a trajectory of, of like tremendous economic growth. It's a, it's a pretty good book, if, uh, and it's suitable for like kids, too. Like if you're like 12, 12 years old, something like that, you got, you got kids that you want to introduce to economic principles, that's another great book. But, um, yeah, I, I was one of these uh, Republicans— that, you know, I never really voted. I was never really, uh, I, I never took part in the political system. I, I think I voted once when I was 18, and, and that was it. And I voted Republican, literally just because I could, and that I thought that's what I was supposed to do because that's what everybody tells you to do. You turn 18, you register to vote, and you vote. And your dad tells you to vote Republican, so you vote Republican because the Democrats were lunatics. But I remember thinking, even at the time, while I, I was much smarter than most kids my age, more mature, and I knew a lot, I was like more um, involved in politics and things like, like more interested in it, I still thought that I had no business voting, that, I, that an 18-year-old kid with next to no life experience had no business voting for who was going to run the country. And of course, that was all a, a product of government, of the Vietnam War. They, they lowered the voting age because they were drafting 18-year-old kids 
off to war and they didn't even have a say in who w- was running the show. Anyway, that was my first time voting and I never voted again. And I, I don't think I ever will vote again unless there's a, a candidate that I actually believe in. <laughs> like if Ron Paul runs again or something, uh, don't see that happening. But um, yeah, I was this Republican that was just trying to figure out the economy. And I, I thank God I found Austrian economics and, and Peter Schiff and Ron Paul and Tom Woods. I remember listening to Tom Woods on the on the Peter Schiff show. He was a great uh, guest host. It, it was what a great show. And those episodes are still up, by the way. If you go to like his, uh, Peter Schiff's website, you can listen to all the old radio shows. They're still pretty entertaining, and a lot of it's still relevant. the The problem with Austrian economics and just economics in general is that you can't predict the the timing of anything. Like we can look at the economy and we can point out exactly what's wrong with it. This is what's wrong. That's what's wrong. Um, but we never know when that time bomb is going to go off. It's anybody's guess how long they can keep it going. And as you can see, they've kept it going for a very long time. We've been able to consume without producing. We've been able to borrow Without saving, we've been able to keep this party going. A, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the dollar is the reserve currency of, of the world, and th- there's demand for our currency, even though we're not actually producing anything. So we've been basically living off of the backs of the rest of the world. We've been getting this free lunch like my entire life. And that party will come to an end at some point, and I think we're getting pretty close when I look at these debt levels that we're at now, I mean, of course, I thought we were getting close at, at 12 trillion and then 15 trillion and then 20 trillion. But now it's just like we're going to spend like six trillion dollars this year, which is just insane. And there is just no way that we can uh, we're, we're insolvent. We were already bankrupt. And now it's just like a, only a matter of time before everybody else really comes to terms with this. The fact that there's no way we can pay any of this off. We can't even service the debt that we have right now, and we're going to keep piling onto it. And this is with record low interest rates, with interest rates at basically zero. So the only, like if interest rates were to go up to like uh, historical norms of just like five or 6%, the interest on the debt would be, you know, trillions of dollars every year, like three trillion a year. The, the entire tax revenue, the entire tax base that the federal government takes in would just go to paying the interest on the national debt at like re- relatively low interest rates. But anyway, I, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm going off on a little uh, tangent there. That's that had nothing to do with my origin story per se. But it was the debt was alarming me at the time and. Republicans didn't seem to care about it. They were they were spending like they were drunken Democrats. And once I came to terms with that, once I realized that the Republicans were basically Democrats as well, and the only political ideology and philosophy that was consistent and philosophically sound and explained everything, like everything just works 
when you subscribe to libertarian principles of individualism, limited government, tolerance, like I talked about on the last episode, and free markets, and the non-aggression principle, right? And really, you could I could simplify that down to the non-aggression principle and private property rights. I mean, that's basically it. If you adhere to those, strictly adhere to those, all of the problems that we bicker about in society, they all go away. They're, they're so easy to figure out. You don't need to do mental gymnastics to try to justify why Republicans are for this, but they weren't for that, or why the Democrats are for this, but they're not for that. No, you, you just apply the principles soundly, consistently, and there's no problem over transgender bathrooms or whatever, whatever stupid thing we were talking about before coronavirus. Uh, you just it's private property rights problem solved right who owns the building uh, it's up to them oh, okay that makes sense that makes sense obviously there are some gray areas and there are areas where even libertarians disagree like we can't even agree on whether or not we want some government or no government and it, it took me a long time to get to anarchism as well that that was a relatively new development i would say just before i started this podcast I just, I committed to it. I was sort of on the fence. I was like, it, you know, because it makes you really uncomfortable to think that, you know, how are you going to have like national defense or police and fire and things like that? Like, how are you going to settle disputes among people? That was always, you know, without a court system, uh, without a government run court system, things like that. I mean, I know, I know all of the theories to this, and I knew them before I was fully convinced of anarchism, but it's still a very uncomfortable limb to be out on. At some point, you know, you're going to have to have a way uh, uh, for people to seek a redress uh, of grievances, and the idea that that could be done completely voluntary by by private entities in a voluntarist society was... um, it took a long time to come to terms with, and I don't know exactly what pushed me over the edge. I think it, you know, it wasn't any like explanation as to how it could possibly work out. I don't think that, you know, a lot of people, statists want to put the onus on us, the people like, like myself, anarcho capitalists, to explain how everything in society would work if there was never a government. And I, I think that's ass backwards. I think, if anything, the onus should be on them to prove why we have to have things done by the threat of violence, the threat of force at the point of a gun by the government, this immoral, evil institution forcing people to do things. And there are theories on how everything would work in a totally uh, governmentless society. Some of those theories are more compelling than others. But it it seems like unless we can explain down to the smallest detail how society would operate without government, unless we can do that, then it's just impossible. Like this could never work unless one person could explain this whole thing, how the, the entire world would operate, how every interaction would take place without a government. And I think the fact that we can't explain how everything would work sort of proves our point 
that no one person knows how the world should be organized or how the country should be organized, the best way of doing this or the best way of doing that. No one person or group of people could ever know how to do that. That's why you need to allow people to act in their own self-interest peacefully, voluntarily, and you let the invisible hand of, of the marketplace work itself out. It, it does work. Free markets work. And when you look around the world at all of the, the countries that try different types of government or different types of economic structures and things like that, the ones that err on the side of freedom and individual rights are always far more wealthier than the ones that don't. Libertarian principles, the libertarian ideology, if you adhere to that, it will bring more wealth and more prosperity to more people than any other philosophy known to man. I, I truly believe that, and I, I think the evidence is overwhelming. It, it's, it's shocking to me that people haven't figured this out yet and that it's so hard to convince people otherwise. It, it, it really is unbelievable to me. The, the amount of people that have been pulled out of poverty by free markets and voluntary interaction it is in the billions billions of people and it makes sense and it, it it can be explained it's not like this phenomenon that nobody knows understands how it happened we have an explanation for everything and it was all of those explanations this it started out with economics and then it bled into naturally i think the the political arena and and social issues and government issues and it was so comforting to have a, a well-rounded political philosophy that explained everything, that had answers to everything, that um, it, it, was, it was scratching me right where I itched. And, you know, I, I've enjoyed the journey. I, I've still got a long way to go. I have taken a pretty deep dive into things, but I, I still love to, to read uh, libertarian philosophy. I still love to talk about it, obviously. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this show was because it profoundly changed my life. Like once you are red pill, you never see anything the same way again. And I wanted to be able to do that for other people, people who are confused, people who are feeling lost, people who have always done something uh, one way or believed in something because, well, this is what they were told to believe or this is the way they learned it and everybody else is doing it this way. And I want to be that guy that can that can open their eyes to what they're missing, to the missing pieces in in their lives. And it, yeah, it's just a it's just a political philosophy and maybe an economic philosophy. But if you apply it to your daily life, it, it can really make a, a difference. And I was never, I never knew what I wanted to do growing up. I never had a good answer to that question. Yeah, be, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a a fireman or a, a policeman or I want to be a doctor. I, I never wanted to do any of that. I always just wanted to to be the guy drinking on the beach or something like that. Um, and, and so I fell into a job that, yeah, I didn't really, I, I, I don't really care about. I'm not passionate about it. I, I'm good at it, but it, it's boring to me. I, I don't particularly care for it. It's a, it's a means to an end. It's a paycheck, and you, it's why I need a vacation every four months. 
because it, it really, it drains you. It takes a lot out of you and you get that, you know, that thousand yard stare where you're doing the same thing every day over and over again. And it's just hard to get out of bed in the morning because you don't want to go to work. You don't want to do what you're doing, but you don't know what it is you want to do and you don't know where to start. And for me, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but the the journey toward libertarianism really helped me figure out a lot of, um, questions I had about the world, about my life, about what I wanted out of my life and the, the type of life I wanted to lead, what I wanted to do with it. Um, I'd been thinking about starting this podcast for a while and, uh, you know, I was, I kept talking myself out of it. I was like, well, who am I? Why, why would anybody want to listen to me? Uh, why are they going to tune into the, the peddling fiction podcast? To, to hear this guy talk. I, you know, I, I'm nobody, right? And I, I think everybody kind of talks themselves out of, of doing things. And, you know, we are our hardest critics. At least most of us are. Some of us lie to ourselves and we, we tell ourselves uh, things that are not even remotely true. But I think most of the time, most people are harder on themselves than they need to be. And I... I I, I think starting this podcast, even if it was just um, a way for me to vent into a microphone originally and to get some of this stuff off my chest, because I don't have a lot of libertarian friends that I can talk to. Uh, my friends are either Democrats or Republicans. And there's a lot of this stuff that you really can't talk about. And, you know, talking politics with your friends is never uh, never a great idea. It, it can get kind of heated and things like that. So, um it, it might have started out that way, but um, I think it's evolved into a, a calling, a, a much bigger mission of being able to do for other people what the the great minds that came before me did for me. It, it changed my life, opened my eyes to the, to this wonderful uh, political philosophy, and um, just it, giving me the the answers to the world. Uh, I, I want to be able to do that for other people. And I want to be able to explain all of the, the lies that they're being told. Uh, I, I want to be able to teach people. I think I've always been fairly good at, at um, explaining things and teaching concepts to people, but I never wanted to be a teacher. But getting the opportunity to do that for thousands of other people, I, I just in my free time, is... It's really rewarding, and uh, I thank you guys so very much for listening. I'm going to keep this up. I, I will keep doing this show, hell or high water, two days a week. And if you're new to libertarianism, I, I think this show would be great for you. If you're a, a very seasoned veteran and a radical libertarian, whatever, th this show will still be entertaining for you. And if you're starved for content, Go back and listen to the... I, I have a pretty big library of episodes. I've been doing the show for about a year now, twice a week. So there's uh, like we're coming up, I think, on 100 episodes pretty soon. So go back and listen to the last like 10 or 15 episodes if you got free time to, so you get kind of caught up. I don't like to cover things in a vacuum. I, I always talk about that. You know, I, I don't want to just do news 
news in a vacuum or topics in a vacuum. I want to build off of prior episodes. So if you're getting anything out of this, just do me a favor. Go back and listen to the last couple of episodes or go back even farther if you want. Keep taking this journey along with me. And I think we will all be better off in the long run. And let's really... Uh, I, like I said, I really want this show to take off this year. Our, our no, we are going gangbusters right now. Our, our numbers are, are growing every day, and it's just so rewarding to to see so many people getting value from just me talking. And I, and I just wanna I want to pour gasoline on that fire, and I want to really get something going this year where where we can make some sort of difference in the lives of many, many more people. So thank you all so very much for tuning in. Enjoy your weekend. Um, if Hopefully I will be in Michigan by the time you guys have, are hearing this, and I will be back with you guys on Tuesday. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pedal Fiction. I drop all of my memes on Twitter. So I, my, my meme folder is second to none, in my opinion. If you're starved for memes, check out my Twitter account. If you like the show today or if you've liked the show in the past, do me a favor and give me a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. And then, of course, you can become a supporting listener of the show by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back next week, next Tuesday with a brand new episode for you and we can do this all over again until then just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction peace